You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today, we have Mike Watfield, an exceptional guest and real estate investor out of Texas. Please help me to welcome our guest and... Uh, Please help me to welcome our guest. How are you, Mike? Good. Good to talk to you, Adam. Thanks so much for being with us today, and I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would like to, to, to start with the beginning. Like we were just chatting about, you're starting on multifamily. So what was the beginning for you? How was the beginning for you on the multifamily business? So um, right after school, I've always been an entrepreneur. I, I started a company. Um, it was actually a company that was failing and I went in with two business partners and we bought a failing company, much like we'll buy sometimes distressed assets. This was a distressed company and we went in and, you know, managed it better, operated it better. And I decided to exit and, and, uh, got my first check out of college. Um, so I, I got the taste for entrepreneurship and the potential upside of it. Um, at the same time, Glenn Gonzalez, um, who is my business partner now, um, he was starting his own syndication company. And he, uh, he said, well, you're exiting this company. It may be a good time for you to come over here. And, you know, you're obviously an entrepreneur that I'm an entrepreneur, you know, let's, let's try and do business together. Hmm. And he had all these years of experience in operating apartments. And, you know, as many people come to learn that are good at operating businesses, they can learn the real estate and become good at operating, you know, those as a business. Um, and so he trained me over the course of about four years. He helped me um, a lot, taught me all the asset management, things I needed to know. And I delve just completely both feet into the industry and became a sponge and learned as much as I could about the financials, finance side and the underwriting side and really acquisition side of the business. And spent a lot of time learning the whole picture. I got my CPM designation um, from the Institute of Real Estate Management. So I even understood the property management side of the business. So I would understand and have a good knowledge going into buying properties. So it really all started from, you know, just my entrepreneurial spirit and wanting to be my own, my own guy that makes and dictates when I work. And, uh, and also to capture the upside of my hard work. So, uh, be, like, this is one of the lessons is, uh, is uh, the advantages of the partnership. But back then, what was your advantage and what was the pros and cons for you to start actual early partnership um, and looking for, uh, like, to strengthen your uh, market with someone else? So what was the pros and cons back then? Yeah, back then, um, there was a lot of upside for me. Glenn had all the knowledge um, in the multifamily industry. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it as like, and he can really mentor me and teach me this stuff. And being in the war room with him every day, mm -hmm. I'm going to learn. Um, also, the connections and relationships he had were so deep that those relationships have now become my relationships. And, and obviously, I had to you know, be likable and smart and, and try my best. I mm -hmm. couldn't, 
you know, inherit them or whatever. But, um, you know, the advantage for me was that he was in the industry and he had his foot in the door with brokers and different things, which takes years to do. It just does. Um, the advantage for him was I was hungry and was willing to work really hard. So, you know, I took a lot of work off his plate that he was used to doing himself and I freed him up to focus on building the business. Um, and in the early years of uh, that relationship, um, I worked a lot of hours and, and, you know, did a lot of the asset management and things like that. And, and, uh, so he was freed up to go do more acquisitions. So hmm. the trade-off for him was I get my time and impart knowledge and also get freed up to go do then more deals. So it worked out really well. Good. Good. It's been on, on the partnership for more than eight years, I think. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, first uh, question will be, what is your current target market and uh, how many uh, units under management so far? Got it. Um, our current target markets, I, I mean, anywhere within Texas, excluding a few markets, um, we tend to focus on the triangle of Texas, but um, we live in Austin. So in and around Austin, Texas, the suburbs um, are high in our priority, um, central Texas. And then we'll look in DFW. Um, we look in San Antonio, just closed the 120 unit deal down south of San Antonio. Hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll look around there. Um, so and then we look in other major markets like Salt Lake City, um, Phoenix, uh, Atlanta, uh, North Carolina, like up in Charlotte and such. So, okay. And how many um, units under management so far? Um, right now to date, we have about 1500 units, but, um, in the last eight years, probably a total of 5,000, 5,500 units, um, that we bought and sold, but currently we're managing and have under our portfolio about 1500. Okay. Okay. So your, your approach is main, mainly on close management, not on uh, remotely, uh, management style because you know your core team from property management. Are you uh, dealing with the property manager, managers or you're uh, managing the property by yourself? Um, we, we manage, self-manage very few things. Um, we, we usually third-party manage our projects. Um, you know, our, our process there that we've developed has been we find the, the local expert in whatever market we're in. So, um, for example, we're looking also in Nashville and kind of mm -hmm. Lexington, Kentucky. Um, we're looking in Louisville, Kentucky as well. Um, we found a really, really good management company over in that area. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're kind of growing with that management company in that area. Okay. And the great news is, is as, as we grow, they grow. And so they're incentivized to really keep us happy because we gave them our biggest project over there, 258 unit deal that we closed and um you know they watch it like a hawk so if you can find a management company that's invested in your project being successful because they want more business from you that's ideal um otherwise you have to rely on relationships and experience over the past so we use another third-party management company that manages our dallas stuff and our san antonio stuff and they're at the corporate level we know the folks there really well so it's just 
easy for us to give them another project because that we've had so many projects that they've done and done well. So, okay. um, but you know, if I'm going to, if I find a good deal in like some obscure market, I'll try and find a local management company. Okay. So, uh, this is the first point of the question, which, uh, is the actual, uh, uh, property management but when you're looking for the deals what is your criteria uh, like mm. uh, profit wise the target IR cap rate especially I'm asking this question because of the new inflation especially on this market uh, the inflation uh, the appreciation the new uh, uh, the new um, uh, market deals um, I'm sorry and the new um, bank interest it's all all of them is affecting the actual uh, price and the cap rate. So what is your current criteria within the market inflated? It's a great question. Um, you know, uh, you're going to see a lot of contracts that, that are going to be busted because hmm. if you went under contract 90 days ago, I mean, it's just not the same. It's not the same market anymore. And, and the capital markets have shifted this so far. Um, that all being said, you know, our criteria for our underwriting has changed. Um, we're stress testing deals with a much higher interest rate. Um, we're looking at somewhere between 4.6 and 5%. Okay. Uh, uh, interest rate. Okay. On an yeah. interest rate. Yeah. On a, on a bridge loan, you're looking higher. You're looking around six and a quarter um, to mm. six, 6%. Um, if you're using sulfur as your baseline, you know, and sulfur plus like 150 basis points or, or whatever it is, um, you know. Seven to eight, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're looking closer to six and a half percent. So, you know, gone are the days of, you know, those really, really awesome floating interest rates that everybody was trying to do because interest rates are so low and now they're paying the price of those floaters, um, you know, because... <laughs> People, you know, it's so funny when you when you, when you think about what we were facing. I think if we were to ask anybody today, they they would answer honestly, saying, you know, I knew that the interest rates were going to go back up. Mm -hmm. There was no way that was sustainable. I shouldn't have done a floating interest rates. I should have locked in at a low interest rate, mm -hmm. you know, knowing that rates were going to go up. Because what people were trying to avoid was the heavy yield maintenance penalties. Of uh, selling a deal, you know, so they took a risk and they're like, man, if interest rates hold this low for another three years, I can exit on a floater and have very minimal penalties on the exit. But what they found was that they just got killed, you know, and, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's just tough, tough business. Um, uh, whereas if you were to lock in, like we locked in at a, on a 10 year term with Fannie Mae at a 3.3% interest rate. That's good. Yeah. And it's full 10 term years, IO. 10 years, full term IO mm -hmm. 10 years interest only. And we locked that in. We closed, I rate locked about 120 days ago. Hmm. Um, I paid a $350,000 fee for that. Um, but it was the best move I probably made in my career to date because, you know, rates skyrocketed literally weeks after we closed. So Thank goodness, you know, we did that. But, um, you know, to, to go back to your original question, you know, we're stress testing deals. Our criteria is still, we're looking for 
and we, Glenn and I always buy on cash flow. We, we always want to have, you know, six to 7% cash on cash hmm. as a minimum going into a deal because we know that, you know, times can change and that cash on cash can drop, but we're stable to pay our bills um, and have stay power. Um, so we sell them. We'll look at an appreciation play um, anymore, uh, meaning you buy it a, you know, whatever cap, three cap, and, you know, you maybe sell it at a three and a half cap a year or two later, or you sell it like a 2.9 cap, the cap rate compression is kind of gone in my mind. Um, so, so still now is just deals with three caps on, on Texas? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Deals are trading, you know, at insane prices right now. Hmm. So uh, regarding your criteria, are you ba like uh, based on uh, like um, B, B buildings, uh, C buildings, and also what kind of strategy is like buy and hold or uh, force appreciation? Um, we're buy and hold guys, uh, and we have been the past two years. Hmm. Uh, it's so hard to find really, really good deals. Hmm. And we try to only buy really good deals. We try not to just buy. Uh, it could work if we hit hmm. everything perfectly. Um, so we're buying fewer deals than we used to, quite frankly. Hmm. Um, but, you know, we're looking somewhere in like the B minus to A minus range. Um, hmm. You know, anywhere from 1988 to 2001 built product um, that we can still go in and uh, increase the value. There, you know, maybe renovate units. Uh, but e minus, is this for me is interesting because usually we go to a C or B buildings, but you're saying uh, A minus. Yeah, those C product, too much headache for me. We've done mm -hmm. that. You know, I think that. I think that everybody goes through an evolution in their real estate investing. And it's very, you know, typical for people to get in and they buy a D product or a C product building and they try and turn it into a C plus or a B minus product. Mm -hmm. It's getting harder to find projects like that. A lot of those have turned. Mm -hmm. um, so the natural progression is you have more capital and liquidity and you have more investor dollars to invest is you buy nicer stuff. That's a little less of a headache. Hmm. and still try and create value. Hmm. Um, we just bought something that was 2015 built. And, you know, the value that we created there wasn't in renovating units. Um, we brought in a new management company. Hmm. We came in with a really good asset management plan. We're tracking the rents and we're increasing um, the renewals at a 15% rate. And hmm. we're increasing the new leases at a 25% increase. Now, so the net operation income enhancing the, the expenses ratio and focusing yeah. on net operation income. Yeah, I mean, of course, you look at the expenses and you try and keep those in budget. I mean, hmm. you know, you give the property management company a budget and say, hey, this is what you got to do. And if they sign off on it, they better do it. Um, but I focus on the income. The other thing we did is we brought uh, cable and internet to the project. Hmm. They had some, you know, one of those third tier, second tier internet oh, companies. Yeah. You know, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, we brought in spectrum and signed a contract with them and uh, you know, we're selling it to them at a profit and mm. everybody loves it because it's cheaper than what they were paying before. Mm. We weren't capturing any of the gain from that. 
and everybody um we've signed up almost 85 percent of the the um the tenants at this point and we owned it two months so yeah we're gonna get to a hundred percent of the people paying us that and you know we bumped our NOI up about ten thousand dollars a month just mm. from that wow so, you know talk about value add you know and this is a 2015 built building i mean these are these are great it's a, it's a product correct it's an a product yeah oh well but you can still create a value in an a product you can um yeah. there's still operators that leave meat on the bone um in other income they didn't buy washers and dryers and there's 120 sets of washers and dryers that could be bought hmm. and we're leasing them out for 65 bucks a month so you can do the roi on 65 times 12 divided by $1,300. It's like a 50% ROI. Hmm. That's a good investment, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Especially it's, it's a different mindset. Like always we, uh, me personally, to be honest, uh, always B minus C plus to turn it over to B. It's headache. Uh, and I'm going to get, get to the point because your um, market is too hot. Appreciated. Uh, as you mentioned, the cap rate is low. No good deals. It's hard, it's hard to find. Uh, but this approach is making more sense because eventually it's not about following everyone. It's what is making sense, which is yes, exactly. I need to make an net operation income. I don't yeah. have to hustle, and it make it makes sense to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you find the value, and you you know you go to where you know you can create value. I agree with you. You can follow the same old what's worked for everybody else, or you can go and create something yourself and. We found a good niche, to be frank with you, you know, and, you know, we're focusing more on operationally, how are we stronger than everyone? And how do we asset manage better than everyone, rather than throwing money at everything? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, how do you how do you still get deals done in a market like this? You spend less money on making the property look really nice. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, you still spend money on what's important but you really sharpen your operations and you really make sure you're paying attention to these projects. That's how you create the value. Okay. So, um, you know, that's, that's what we've done here recently and it's worked out pretty well for us. So, so what was that? Like, uh, I'm not going to focus on the last eight years on the last one year. What was the challenges on, on the Texas market? Uh, there's just a lot of competition. Um, hmm. People love Texas. Um, they, 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 you know, it's a business friendly state, hmm. um, people, whether they admit it or not, like the government and the laws that Texans abide by, um, people like that Texas pride is a real thing. Hmm. Whereas, you know, there's not too many people that have like, um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm just going to pick a state so no one get mad here, but no one really has like, you know, Minnesota pride necessarily. You know, you don't see uh, people wearing Minnesota shirts yeah. like you know, with outline and Texas, you know, Texas is its own thing, but um, also the economy here just keeps getting stronger because there's so many huge cities. I mean, Houston is, I think the third largest city in America to Dallas is top 10 san antonio i think is seven austin. and austin i think just creeped into the top 10 yeah. and austin is just growing we saw 30 percent rental growth last year appreciation um, too the it was yeah. appreciated crazy it was the last three four years yeah yeah and you know 
in my mind, you know, what's creating that obviously is Tesla's moved here. Uh, mm -hmm. Samsung just announced their $17 billion manufacturing plant in Taylor, which we happen to have a new development deal that we bought or that we're building there. Um, so that was, that was good luck. I think the market is, has all of the strong fundamentals. It does. Yeah. It does. It's a great market. And, 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 you know, just to be frank, you know, California is losing people and we're gaining them. Mm. And, um, you know, if you sell your home in California, that's a two bedroom, two bath for $1.5 million. And you move to Texas and you get a five bedroom, five bath. Oh, you're going to get a building. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, you, well, my point is, is that eventually, you know, we can't keep up with the demand here. So hmm. um, what, what you're really seeing is you're going to see home values and rental rates that of LA in Austin in not too long, I don't think. So, you know. I think COVID was um, one of the major factors here because the people are moving from Northern states and the west side, and going to the east side, especially the south side. Yeah. So I'm not sure if this is good for you guys or bad, but I think that as you mentioned, it was too free. Like the competition is crazy right now because of yeah. this. Yeah. Well, you know, and there's a lot of people coming in from the outside trying to get in. You know, we've been here for mm. well over a decade. We mm. know all the players. Um, we we know a lot of people in the market. We know the brokers. So we have a leg up from a standpoint of finding a deal still. Hmm. And, you know, all of the current um, developments that we have underway have come through relationships, hmm. you know, uh, in a roundabout way, you know, dealing with the landowner directly and making them a partner in the deal, you know, and getting a good price for the land. You know, these are all things that, you know, you have to do to survive in a market like this. Otherwise, you know, you're looking at very low leverage, raising a bunch of money and coming in and trying to take down a deal to, to, to make it make sense or mm. to, you know, make sure you're not putting everybody's money at risk because you know, you, and you can't even get the leverage. You know, you, you used to be able to get 75, 76%. Um, and now you're looking at closer to 67% in some of these markets. So it, it makes it tough. Yeah, it is. Uh, and you have to have uh, cash uh, aligned with more equity partners. Yeah, yep. yeah, it is it's a tough game right now. And which is bringing me to the, the next question is, what is your, like, do you have any, like, a backup plan to move to other markets like Tennessee, Alabama, where the price of Purdue is less? So you can yeah. have more uh, doors or the focus only is in, in your local market where you have a strength with a team? So, that's a, that's funny. You say that, like I said, we bought 258 units in Kentucky and hmm. um, we made best and final on 216 units in Lexington, hmm. which is just close by Louisville. Um, it's where the Kentucky Derby's held, I believe. Hopefully I'm right on that. Um, but you know, we are still finding that, you know, there's some areas in the world where you can buy deals that aren't so insanely high that, uh, you can't make sense of them. Hmm. Um, you know, you can buy it, you know, $60,000, $70,000 a door, which used to be like super, super high in Dallas, for example. Like, you know, when I was looking at deals we were selling in 2018, we were selling them for like 65000 a unit. 
180 like, now, I see. 170, 180, Berdu. Yeah, we, we were thinking like, these people are crazy. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what we were thinking about. Like, how are they making this work? You know, how are they making a budget pencil? You know, um, and we were thinking, man, we're barely on some of the C product. We're barely cash flowing with the delinquency issues and stuff <laughs> that you face on that stuff. And they came in and they, they paid double what we paid. And, you know, they're selling it for double what, what they paid. So, I, I mean... I'm coming from the same market, by the way. Toronto is the cap rate is 2.2. Yeah, Toronto's <laughs> tough. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Toronto's yeah. an interesting market. Um, but, you know, we, 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 we struggle with, you know, those same things in, in Austin. Mm -hmm. You know, it's pushed us uh, a little outside of, you know, like Austin, for example. We won't own one deal in the zip code of Austin. Mm. Um, we own a Dylan Taylor, we own two in Leander, um, we own one in Liberty Hill, um, and one in, uh, we, well, three in Leander, excuse me. So, um, you know, we're looking at the suburbs and trying to create the value through development. So, mm. you know, the replacement cost of a unit right now um, is just cheaper, right? If, if I'm to build a a multifamily project, I can build it for cheaper than it costs to buy them. So would I rather have 2022 brand spanking new units um, that takes me a little time and energy, but I'm at 200,000 or 185,000 a unit all in where that same product brand new, you know, leased up is 275,000 a unit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I'd rather go create that value and and capitalize on it. So um, that's the, the return is insane on the development part. It's, the, it's not going to be 18, 20%. It's going to be yeah. 50% or more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your multiples on new development are much higher. I mean, yeah. you know, in a, a multiple on a value add deal or, you know, like a, a coupon clipping deal, maybe a core product is, you know, looking at like over a five year period, maybe like a 2X you know, maybe like a 2.3 X multiple maximum and your market. Max. Yeah. That's maximum. <laughs> you know, the multiplier you um, mean the equity multiplier. Yeah. Equity, equity multiplier, but yeah, multiple, point, yeah. yeah. Multiple on a, a, a new built product could be like four yeah. or a 4.5, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you have to be more patient. You don't see cash flow in the beginning, but if you find somebody that knows what they're doing and they're in a good market, yeah. You should see that money quadruple over the course of a few years. So, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, if we're talking about your latest deal, uh, if we can break it down, what was the purchase price, number of unit, especially on this crazy market, especially the cap rate? Yeah. Uh, I'm really uh, interested to know how you bought your uh, last deal with the new market uh, inflation prices. So, when was that your latest deal? So we closed a 120 unit deal in Floresville, Texas. It's, um, it's a, a market that's Southwest of San Antonio. It's a nice little market that's growing. And, um, you know, we financed that, um, in, or we closed that three months ago. Mm. So it was really before the huge interest rate hikes and yeah. we did pretty well there. Um, but you know, Still, it's 
you know, it was getting scary back then. We kind of saw what was coming. So like we better close and, and do that quick. Mm-hmm. So we, we did well. Um, but yeah, we, we bought that at a good price per door. How um, much was the price per door? I can't tell you that, you know, because uh, it's a not Texas is a non-disclosure state and the state uh, listening. They're oh, okay. going to value and then they're going to jack my taxes up. So. <laughs> Don't say. Don't no say. I, I, I'll, we can talk offline. No, no um, worries. No worries. But, but we, we got it for a good price per door. Okay. Um, and we've increased the value to a point where I'm like, man, you know, this, this was a good deal. You know, I'm glad we did it. Um, the tricky part is we plan to refinance um, in two and a half years from now. Okay. So the question is, where are interest rates going to be then, right? Correct. We have enough cushion in there. I think I think we underwrote at about an eight or nine percent cash on cash at stabilization, so we have some room there, um, you know, for a higher interest rate to where we can still cash flow at a, a good rate for our investors. Hmm. But you know, if we refinance at a five percent interest rate, you know, that kind of hurts, right? Um, yeah, it, it hurts the cash flow what we projected, but. It is what it is, is real estate. It's hard to predict all those things. So what was the upside of this uh, this deal? Like what was the potential on this deal? The upside was in the management and operations. It was in hmm. bringing internet and cable to the property. It was in the washers and dryers. Hmm. Um, it was in the fact that they hadn't been aggressive with raising rents um, or on other income. Frankly, they weren't charging enough um, for utilities. Hmm. Um, so- we captured a lot of that and we've done that already. Um, you know, that was the upside. This deal really was like one of those deals that you put in your portfolio and you're like, man, I'm just going to hold that for 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. It cash flows. It has a good occupancy. It's not a big headache. You know, it's well-managed. It looks nice. It was built well. Um, so it's not always about flipping that property quick and making a quick dollar. So at some point you got to think of how many good projects can I find, you know, before I find a bad one, you know, that hurts. It's like, hold on to the good ones, you know, and, you know, and, and, and what I mean by that, the really good ones that cash really well, hold on to those projects because inevitably, I mean, if you're just looking at time, things go up, they trade at a higher price per door than they did before. So if it's cash flowing well, you know, keep it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and that's, that's my philosophy. Of course, people are like, nah, turn and burn. You know, you need to buy 30 projects a year and, you know, completely turn your portfolio, you know, after three years and man, over leverage it. Yeah. That's a lot of headache. Yeah, it, <laughs> is. it is. It is. It is. It's a, it's a lot of headache. So I, I don't know. We've done that. We've, you know, I, I, if I could show you my wall out here, we hang up a picture of all of our deals, you know, and we got 40 pictures on the wall and a lot of them are what you're talking about. That mm. E plus asset that, you know, we held. Even for, D. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even yeah, D. We, yeah. Even D we, we bought stuff that had grass in the parking lot and <laughs> was boarded up and yeah. you know, it was a total, you know, there wasn't even a retenant. There was no tenants. It was a hundred percent unoccupied, you know, Wow. You know, we've dealt with stuff like that before. So it was uh, 100% fin- uh, you financed it cash for cash? No, no, a bank owned it. And um, we actually got them to do, um, to carry a note back on the property. 
Mm. Um, and then we raised the rest of the money to come in and do the rehab. Okay. So, you know, it was, it was a good deal and we executed and sold and, and made money, but you know, mm. I, I, I've gotten to a point where I'd rather just find good cash flowing deals that you'll see some, some appreciation, um, but that we'll be able to hold and cash flow and return people money. And, and, and uh, you know, then, and the reason why I got here is I found that with most investors, they can tell you like, Hey man, I, I want to see a 20% IRR else. I'm not working with you. Or they may say, you know, I, you know, I really dislike the quick flips of cash, but really what they like is getting a check in the mail every quarter. Mm. That's really what investors like. I, I know that a lot of, and, and there may be some private equity groups that it's, it's turn and burn, or there may be some family offices. I'm talking about your doctor in Iowa. I'm talking about your attorney in Atlanta. Mm. Um, the guys that maybe invest in the syndication, they like seeing the cash flow come in. And so we've tried to find assets where we can show them that we can, we can do that. Hmm. And so that's been our focus. And ever since we made that our focus, my life has been very, very good. Um, <laughs> as far as stress levels, I've been able to maintain 100 percent. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I think you open a can of form here, which is basically <laughs> raising capital. Uh, how, how was your initial steps? Um, you as an individual on, on the on the game uh, for the raising capital, especially with accredited investors, qualified investors, 506B, 506C, um, how you make your deal uh, investor-friendly, basically? Depends on the deal um, that we do, um, whether it's 506B or 506C. Um, you know, I... I, we've done both. Hmm. Um, you know, I would prefer to work with a few people that are accredited. Um, you know, it, it's less folks that you have to chat with and get org docs signed and hmm. PPMs signed. And, you know, but on the other hand, we've had success raising money from non-accredited investors that we've had 40 people in one deal. And, you know, it's just 40 K ones you have to deal with and, you know, 40 signatures and, you know, 40 people, you have to tell, Hey, we're selling the project. And, you know, it, it, it it's just, it's just a more pleasant process from a syndicator's perspective. Mm. And I'm talking like at this point, Glenn and I are a little bit more picky about who we do business with because we have that option. It's taken a lot of years to get to that point in the beginning. It's like, man, if you come can, in, come on in, let's go. You know, we're open. Uh, yeah. We, we're open for business. Please come, you know, um, but now we, we've built up a reputation and have enough folks that have invested with us um, on multiple deals that it's like, okay, hey, I want your next deal. Make sure you save a spot for me, right? And so um, we have a little bit more option to pick and choose who we do business with. So our, our first option would be to find one person to write the whole check. And then the next option, yeah. you know, if we can't do that, then, you know, up to five is kind of where we like to be within our last deal. I think we had 10. Um, so how big it was, um, it was a, it was a six and a half million dollar raise. Okay. So, you know, still, you know, between quarter million and million dollar checks, somewhere in that range is 
Is so it was think. almost, uh, I think, $12 million deal with the renovation or more, $15? I think more. Um, that deal? Yeah. Uh, 30%. It, it was yeah, uh, $16 million, I think. It was a, it was a $16, $17 million deal. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So, anyway, okay. Yeah. Uh, my next question is will be um, uh, how you manage to have your, uh, every, your marketing strategy in place uh, for attracting, uh, raising capital, especially you said you became more picky. So uh, is it ab- about always a referral or you still having this on a side that uh, marketing for yourself and your deals and your projects? We use a software um, that kind of acts as a Rolodex for all of our investors. And, you know, we try and attract people to our website and, you know, um, uh, you know, we'll send out invitations to sign up on our portal. Mm-hmm. And basically what happens is when they sign up on that, whenever we have a deal come up, we'll send out an offering memorandum through that, that portal. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they'll get it and they can, they can reserve investments at that point um, okay. in, that, in that deal. So we've had some good success doing that. And we don't spend a lot of dollars on marketing um, for good or worse, I guess. Um, we haven't had a project. We haven't been able to raise the full money on amount of money. We've, we've been able to be successful there. Mm. So I guess Glenn and I are like, well, maybe we don't necessarily need to spend a bunch more money on marketing yet. I think the bigger issue is the deal flow. How do you find good deals more frequently? 100%. Because you, know, you don't really need capital if you don't have deals. So um, yes. I would say spending your money more on finding good deals to buy, yeah. um, whether that means that you have cold callers trying to find off-market transactions or you know you have an underwriting team that's just turning deals over and over and over again in your underwriting model. Hmm. Um, once you find a lot of good deals, um, it's a good thing to where you don't have the capital to really like, man, we, you know, we, we got to find more capital. We have too many deals. That's unusual in today's market. Um, it's usually in your market. market. Yeah. Your market is stuff. Yeah. We're in a bull market. So mm-hmm. we have been, so, you know, you, usually it's the other way around. You, you've got people that says, you know, find me a good project, find me a good project. And you don't have the projects to bring. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's a trade. It's a trade. Yeah, it's it's tough. So if you can make it a habit to find good deals and you can, uh, you know, look at a lot of transactions Hmm. and weed through them to find the the one or two, you know, or three or four a year that are really good, Hmm. you'll probably have repeat customers coming back writing bigger checks the next time, you know. Yeah. And 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 then you find yourself, you're like, man, I've got 10 investors I go to every deal and they always fund it, you know? So you, so you always go with syndication, not a fund. Yeah, no, we don't, we don't have a fund. Okay. Okay. So I think the next question would be the fun question, which is uh, who is your influential mentor in your real estate career so far? Glenn. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> by far, if I said anybody else, I'd just be lying. Um, that guy has taught me more than I could have ever asked for. Um, he's such a good person in addition to being very, very knowledgeable and one of the leading experts in what we do. Hmm. Um, so just enjoyable to be around, 
in addition to just being super smart. So um, him by far. Great, great. Uh, my last question will be, what is what you say about your superpower strengths? My superpower strengths? Yeah. I would say probably my strong suits are... Um, and I, and I, you know, when you ask these types of questions, I always am like, man, it might sound arrogant when I say this, but <laughs> I've never met a stranger. I, I'm, I can make friends with people pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think that that's a superpower that a lot of people lack is just being likable. Um, and you need to be likable, you know, people don't have to do deals with you and mm -hmm. they don't have to take your business. You know, we've been in this bull market. People can tell you to, you know, go look somewhere else. I don't have to deal with you. And so if people like doing business with you, you, you should see some more success. The other thing I have is a desire to learn. Um, I don't have such a big ego that I'm not willing to ask questions. I, I had a guy sitting in my office here an hour ago and he was a debt fund manager and I haven't dealt with debt funds ever before. I mean, I know what they are and their function and what their goal is, but you know, tell me the gotchas with debt funds. Tell me, tell me why um, my underwriting might, might raise some red flags with a debt fund, but it doesn't with a traditional bank, you know, or lender, you know, and just asking questions. So the other thing is I'm able to be teachable. Um, I, I, I try to keep my ego at, at bay um, and, and just try to learn and absorb as much as I can. So, and then my last superhero or human thing is probably um, I, I value relationships above money. Mm. Um, I, I truly do. I, I, I think loyalty to people and friendships and relationships are far more important than money. Mm. Um, I think money is a byproduct of hard work and relationships in business often and you do um reap the fruits of your labor hmm. uh, but you know to me would i rather have a friend or money at the end of the day i'd rather have a good friend i think that relationships at the end of the day are what fulfill you and um what what where real value is in life so I would say that those are kind of especially on this business. I think it's based on trust and relationship and networking. And and you said, as you said, you have to be a, a people guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is yeah. Uh, the base of this business, to be honest. Where it you is. can find deals, you can have relation with realtors and yep. uh, property managers and and so on. So yeah, yeah, yep. So that's... yeah, and gain trust of your uh, investors too, which yeah. is the main goal. Uh, not intentionally, but this is your charisma and your personality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to initially attract them somehow. I mean, it's just like finding a, a soulmate or, a, a, you know, someone to date, you know, it's a marriage. You gotta, yeah. You've got to, yeah. Yeah. You've got to attract them first. They're not mm -hmm. just going to, you know, wander in for some reason, but, you know, so you've, you've got to be likable. And then also you've got to have integrity to keep them there because, mm -hmm. If you don't have integrity and you know you lie to them, they're never going to invest with you again. 100%. So one of the best compliments I can get is a repeat investor. Someone's like, you know what? You've done, you've done right by me. 
and you were honest with me, maybe things don't go perfect because guess what? Things don't go perfect in, in, in anything, but, you know, um, having someone come back and reinvest because they're like, you know, I like you and you, you always shot me straight. That's a, that's a great compliment. So. I think the transparency also always good in the business is and the follow up like the approach of having everything every three months quarterly so yeah. we can follow up what's happening and be transparent with your investor is a really good approach in our business as a syndicator so yeah I agree with you 100 percent my last question really is how the people can follow your success um you know it's I have a LinkedIn page. Okay. I, I, uh, I do have social media and stuff like an Instagram or Facebook, but I don't ever post anything about work. You only see pictures of my kids and you know, that's really what I care about anyway, but uh, it's a private even anyway, I remember it was a private account. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can follow me. I think it's at Mike F Woodfield yes. um, on Instagram or Mike Woodfield on uh, Facebook. And then, um, and I'll happily add you if, if you want to I'll follow you back, if you want to add me, yeah. um, not, not my goal to gain Instagram followers on this podcast, but if that, that's, cool. <laughs> um, and then yeah. if you ever want to, you know, grab lunch or if you're in the Austin area, you can email me at Mike at obsidiancapitalco.com and I'd gladly have you come check out our office or um, come say hi. So it's a great place to have lunch, but yeah. on your, I think it's going to be on your treat. Uh, what was that? It's going to be in your treat. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. If you're flying from Toronto to see me, then I'll buy you lunch. 100 yeah. percent yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot for being with us today. It was fun and we're happy to bring you again to the show. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you.